Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Wednesday, July 12th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing well. It's been an interesting week for me for a couple of reasons. The one I wanted to take a minute on to kick off the podcast is due to Apple products being Apple products that my phone has not been able to have like the lightning um, cord work for like over a year. And I've used a wireless charger, which I've enjoyed. Um, but the charger that I purchased seems to have broken as of sometimes Sunday and my phone just won't charge on it. And of course, like there's not a bunch of chargers lying or wireless chargers lying around the house. You can't buy one at the supermarket for $5. Uh, so I watched my phone battery kind of dwindle and die somewhere around Monday after not touching it. And I got to say, like when it happened, I looked, I was like, right, I'll take this over to Best Buy, like, and I'll do it by around the time my phone's at 20% at the latest. But as I sat, put my phone down and walk, let the battery just run down on its own and stop touching it, like it felt good. Oh, <laughs> like it felt really good to not be just picking it up all the time. And so I've really just held off on fixing that charger. And it's like day three of a dead phone, day five of not really using it. Uh, I heard some YouTubers talking about Twitter and reference the term Twitter throughout thumb, which I like instantly self-diagnosed with. So that's been mm -hmm. the most tangible difference, like noted a relief of the Twitter thumb, but all around, I'm in no rush to get my phone back up and running. How have you been doing? Uh, I can say I'm probably in an opposite camp about, yeah. <laughs> I, I probably average 10 hours of screen time a day between work being completely online Mm -hmm. this podcast twitter thumb so feeling the effects of it today in particular uh we're gonna battle through on on the pod and so stoked to to see again on this fine wednesday yeah i, I have mixed feelings about the once a week after we we're probably doing more than half the year at twice a week so long but it does build the anticipation and i think put a little more force me to put a little more care and uh you know like the emptiness makes you value it more so a lot of exciting things to get to i'm kind of proud of this store so and because it puts together a topic we've previously touched on um my favorite reality television american politics and the world of sports so before we dive into how how much do you know about senator rand paul nothing okay yeah so he is a republican senator i believe for the state of kentucky he is like kind of notable for being such a like hardcore libertarian isolationist like there's not many people in u.s politics who like just all of their politics you can derive around like two principles and they stick like religiously no pun intended to those principles uh like so libertarian like businesses do whatever they want no government intervention like government exists to like collect taxes for roads and like other than that should just stay out of everyone's way as much as possible and like anti-war which is 
very interesting in the Republican Party as that holds a lot more credibility now than it did, say, 15 years ago. Uh, so this senator was sitting on a hearing that was is looking to investigate the merger between the PGA and Live Golf Tour. This is where a previous source mm. bit comes in. Um, this is standard in U.S. politics. You, this is like the context of where you see like Zuckerberg explaining how the internet works to eighty-year-olds go viral, or like some big tech person once every year or two years. So the bit that went viral from this that I'm about to show you has nothing to do with like the PGA Saudi merger but just to give you an idea of like how hardcore libertarian this guy is oh I'm gonna like um paraphrase a little but he basically said the Saudis are currently like conducting a war that has caused thousands of civilian casualties in Yemen. Um, they are a like theocratic, autocratic government that is anti-democratic. But there's no reason we should get involved to stop this business deal with them. Um, because like his belief in the PGA's tour to do whatever the hell they want is like a fundamental first principle for this guy. <laughs> Uh, so after finishing like this little mini rant on antitrust and like how it's not the government's place to get involved in this antitrust, he kind of pivoted and went, in fact, antitrust is going backwards in this country. And I'm going to screen share with you here and show you the rant. You didn't see this, eh? I don't believe so. No. Okay. Cause it did go like a little viral. All right, so here's Rand Paul on this. The court ruled unanimously that the NCAA can't invoke their rules. And so they've completely screwed up college athletes. We used to be proud. Many of us love watching amateur athletes that weren't paid. Now everybody that plays basketball in, in college is going to be driving a Bentley or a Rolls. I mean, we're going to be seeing rap stars instead of basketball stars. I mean, this is crazy. But you know why it happened? Because Congress sat around and said, oh, well, because of antitrust, we can't let the NCAA do it. It went to the court, and the court made the ruling, unfortunately, a unanimous ruling based on the law. So the law's got to change. Antitrust shouldn't be involved with association. So the there's ruled unanimously. a lot of things here. One of them most commented on was probably um, that he got very specific about a certain demographic very quickly there. Hmm. Mm. Uh, but the part for me that's so funny is like I had to Google what he was talking about, Owen, because as far as I know, like NCAA basketball stars are not driving Rolls Royces and Bentleys off of what they're not getting paid in March Madness. And he's referring to a 2011 or 2021 Supreme Court decision. Uh, that's the same Supreme Court that made the like Roe v. Wade overturning abortion decision, mind you, saying that uh, the NCAA is violating antitrust um, by limiting educational benefits like free laptops or like post-graduation paid internships from its athletes. So it was withholding that from them uh, in its conditions for them to like compete as college athletes. And the California court ruled against their doing that. And the Supreme Court confirmed it with Brett Kavanaugh, of all people, saying like, hey, maybe we should be looking even further about the antitrust bit that 
violation that is them not being able to monetize their time in the NCAA. So maybe Rand Paul was getting specific about Brett Kavanaugh's opinion there or just the vibe in the air that this is going to change at some point in the next 15 years, most likely. Um, but yeah, between like the hardcore libertarianism, yet still the desire that like it's totally right for this yearly billion dollar revenue generating industry to with like enact these contracts on these student athletes to make sure they cannot make any money off of their image during any time, despite this industry generating literally over a billion dollars a year uh, to the like weird racial tones to just the again the like saudi merger position uh would you call this clip stupidly terrible or terribly stupid i mean i i'm still trying to parse through every piece of this that uh that you put in front of me um so i'll take the position of let the athletes cook in the way that he wants the businesses to cook mm -hmm. and maybe he needs to do a little bit more education on uh, stereotyping as most of the american political leaders do <laughs> yeah as a side note um it, this was incredibly difficult to or annoying to parse together that clip that i played mm. went viral everywhere and every article was just like the embedding of this one tweet that went viral and then giving like the tiniest bits of context but to actually get the full context i had to google the hearing and like watch rand paul's full speech in the like three hour hearing finding it like there should be better journalism on this okay we can get to sports now terribly stupid deemed <laughs> all right thank you for putting in up with that segment for another week ready to talk some tennis now let's do it all right week two of wimbledon is in uh i'm not sure which day today was but the semifinals for the men's and women's singles are all set with the women's singles semifinals happening tomorrow and the men's singles happening friday the matchup set on the men's side are novak Djokovic versus yannick sinner and daniel medvedev versus carlos alcaraz Spoiler -o, I've got Djokovic Alcaraz as my picks to meet in the finals. Let's talk a little bit about why starting with Novak Djokovic's performance at Wimbledon. Um, because in the fourth round, oh, I saw Hubert Hercatch put up the single best attempt against Djokovic I have seen on grass in the years I've been following the sport closely. And it got him one set. Like this man in his first like three sets was putting 90 plus percent of his ser first serves in at like over 128 that's like 200 kilometers an hour uh, with pinpoint accuracy Djokovic was getting no chances uh in each of the tiebreakers that got played Hubert had a chance to serve for the map or for the set one of those uh like Djokovic chipped a return kind of into no man's land Hercats tried to go big on the forehand and couldn't get it the other one Djokovic just had a crazy return and outlasted Hercats and then rode that momentum to take each tiebreaker uh like it wasn't just a big serving game though oh, like there were or 
there was a lot of mental fortitude that accompanied the big serving game, which is what made such an impressive attempt against Djokovic. Like in the second set, right before the tie break, uh, you know Hubert's thinking, like, I lost the first tie break, and he got himself into trouble in his service game at 6-5, I think. Maybe it was uh, 5-5. But he goes down love 40 and then gets the next five points in a row, just free off his first serve, unreturnable for Djokovic. Like, it was that kind of response to adversity that made it so compelling after two sets uh they called it for the night and you had to go back and starting to the third set i was thinking like her catch like it would almost be impossible to serve better than he did and like he lost those two sets what is he like going to be thinking how's he going to come out and he like came out so free so aggressive but like still really smart shot mar margin somehow he did serve better and so it wasn't that surprising when he took the set off of Djokovic, breaking him uh, finally for the first time at Wimbledon this year, that anyone even got break points, let alone capitalized on them. Uh, nonetheless, that first serve finally trailed off in the fourth set. He still has ridiculous service numbers for the match. Uh, a pet peeve I found for Wimbledon is they don't give you set-by-set -set stats, just match stats. So his first serve stats are really impressive, though. like 80-something percent of the points won with like over 70% of them in, but they were way more impressive in those first three stats her sets but Djokovic does as Djokovic does and he just broke her catch down mentally um, by demanding a performance that is so far seems impossible to maintain for the four or five hours necessary uh to maintain it to beat Djokovic had a grand slam unless your name is Nadal and you're standing on Roland Garros courts uh, that as always is somewhat of a different story anyway off of the back of that match it was hard to imagine rublev who has never won a quarterfinals grand slam match um pose much trouble for Djokovic. also the game of rublev like less the weakness of the second serve and the way his forehand is is more just suited to be a foil uh, against Djokovic's game Rublev was able to take a set off Djokovic. You did see some of the tremendous mental growth that we talked about when he won his first Masters at Monte Carlo last April. Like he, there was this really heartbreaking clip. I think it was against Alcaraz at the US Open last year where he just started crying at the changeover when he realized like, this is another Grand Slam quarterfinal that I'm losing. And there was none of that self-pity here. He put up a really tough effort. Uh, he, the set he took off was great. He never looked defeated. He made Djokovic win by the slimmest margins. But Djokovic is as Djokovic does. So Yannick Sinner, who will play in the semifinal, someone who had Djokovic down two sets to love uh, in the quarterfinals at Wimbledon last year before Djokovic went off, changed, did his self-meditation thing, made maybe the greatest uh, shot I've ever seen on grass and uh, stormed back to take it in five sets. You know that's going to be on Sinner's mind here in the semifinals. And like, I haven't watched Sinner play a match yet this tournament. Oh, and the reason for that is like, he hasn't been in any highly billed matches. Like, his, his fourth round, or excuse me, quarterfinals win over the Roman Sofilin, who took out Denis Shapovalov impressive he really took over in those late sets it looked like by the numbers he's had a really good serve return so far i just don't think he's faced anyone like Djokovic. and more 
concerningly for him, his first serve hasn't landed in at more than like 60% yet uh, in a single match. And he's winning like over 80% of those points, but I think that's going to go down. And if that goes down and it comes and you're not getting many of them in and it really becomes about your second serve, I just imagine Djokovic is going to get his chances every set. And that has been the type of tennis Sinner has played. He's on only the first round match. Did he not get broken in? So it's been more about I'm going to break you more than you're going to break me and I'm going to come out with the sets and he does have the slide the length the instinct his serve return is there and i think he is poised to be the biggest challenge to djokovic's serve but that serve is still going to be too good i think so i've got djokovic maybe it takes four sets i don't think it goes five this time then on the other side alcaraz medvedev i'll try and move this along a little quicker um basically i kind of expect it to go as their miami or indian wells final did where alcaraz really utilizes the drop shot uh uses the completeness in his game to just make the unorthodox and unique uh styles of medvedev weak he's struggled against the servant volley at times all tournament i think alcaraz is able to implement it at the highest level and on the grass that is going to be a huge difference uh medvedev and his five setter against eubanks showed that like at time the serve just falls off and i think alcaraz has been slowly raising his level all tournament and that even if there's a set or even two sets of struggles he's gonna have it in him to adapt and we're gonna have another matchup between alcaraz Djokovic. we'll see um it's it is a really interesting semi-final between Medvedev Alcaraz in terms of inexperience like neither player has been here on Wimbledon at the semi-finals both players have had their experience at the Grand Slam final um it, like clay you give Medvedev the or Alcaraz the advantage excuse me you're supposed to give Medvedev the advantage on hard court especially the outdoor hard court uh of course the Indian Wells outdoor hard court of 2023 was not Medvedev was very vocal about complaining about so I don't know if grass is neutral ground or just how advantageous the serve and volley can be and as well as the drop shot both of which Alcaraz just excels in so much that I'm giving him the edge over Medvedev really quick on the women's side I hyped Bibbling into Wimbledon like a potential big three. Two of those three are out with uh, Iga Sviatek losing to Elena Svitolina, the Ukrainian who is kind of making headlines in her own way for this incredible run. That was a thrilling three-set match, uh, absurd tennis. The highlight came for me in the second set tiebreak, oh, where after losing a mini break, Iga just put the match on her racket and played five points in a row with like fearless determination and won four of those five points like with this much margin for error and like at that much of a winning rate. Svetolina incredible though eventually taking it. And then today we had a rematch of last year's final between Ons Jabur and Elena Rubikina. I'm becoming a really big Rubikina fan, so disappointed to see the loss to Jabir. Uh, but you've got to take your hat off to an incredible performance, a very up and down uh, game style where when she like finds her margins and finds her confidence, it 
with the way she can slice the ball on the grass and keep it so low, it seems almost unbeatable. Her versus Sabalenka in the semifinal is going to be so topsy-turvy tomorrow. Oh, like both these players get so low and get so high. If they like both get locked in at the same time, this could be a thriller. If one of them can seize the momentum and force the other one to stay in one of those lulls, it could be a very quick work at the office. And I'll say two, one quiet part out loud. If we get a Sabalenka, Svitolina, Russian versus Ukrainian Wimbledon final matchup, it is going to be a fantasy nightmare for the organizers after excluding the Russians um, last year with Sabalenka and Svitolina having played pretty late into the French last year, I believe. If it wasn't Svitolina, it was another Ukrainian player. And excuse me, uh, with Sabalenka's like, slight unorthodoxy and like maybe not towing the line as much as other Russian players have around the issue and like with the Wimbledon decision which I just want to reiterate with Sabalenka and Medvedev both in the semifinals no one can plausibly say that didn't have an effect on last year's draws and as well Rublev in the quarterfinals players like Azarenka um clearly like russian tennis has an impact on a draw and when you wholesale ban it you seriously affect that and that's something that the tour has to grapple with so yeah it's been awesome tennis for the most part the traditionalism and decision making of the wimbledon community continues to frustrate me uh very much enjoying the championships though very much looking forward to the semis and the finals and talking about all the fallout from them on the next podcast though Fantastic. Great rundown there of Wimbledon as we head towards the final couple of matches and thrillers in store. Uh, don't know if I'll be able to catch them this weekend as I'm out at oh, a tournament. No. I know. There goes my uh, tradition, but I will certainly be watching the highlights because a Wimbledon final is a, it's a special event. It's a special event on the sports calendar. All right, let's jump in and talk some basketball here uh, for the second half of the podcast. The, right at the conclusion of our last week podcast, uh, there was the announcement of the format of the NBA's in-season tournament, the NBA Cup trophy revealed last week, as well as the format. And I'm all in on trying something different, local or national or in-season cups is is something very popular in international football soccer whatever you want to call it and and has grown into be quite an important tradition and source of pride for a lot of fan bases in that sport so why can't we bring it here to north america and more importantly does it ever open the door potentially for an international competition champions league style with a with a euro league and and some of the other leagues that exist right even if it will be a slapping every time would you not love to see the toronto raptors play against the scarborough shooters right <laughs> in in the first of round of some the shanghai Sharks. canadian championship right exactly exactly Dwight Howard coming back from Taiwan <laughs> to take on the Lakers, right? It's just, hey, it would is, be is awesome. Is that the plot of Space Jam 3? Yeah, there you go. So all for it. Excited to see where it goes. The stakes aren't incredibly high, but it will matter to kind of the bottom half of these rosters with the prize of $500,000. 
and I like the way that they've incorporated it to the season. So every Tuesday and Friday in the months of November uh, and uh, I think the later half of October, I those think regular season games are going to count towards the NBA Cup standings while also being counting towards the regular season standings. They're going to be split into the four divisions and it is going to be the top team from each of those divisions six. plus two wild cards. Yes, sorry, six divisions. That's why it was screwing me up. Six divisions of five teams. The top three on each conference. So the winner of each division plus a wild card from each conference. And they will play quarters, semis, finals, single elimination. The finals is the only game that does not count towards the regular season. That will get played in Las Vegas on my birthday, December 9th. And I'm pumped. It's just it just adds gonna add a little bit more intrigue to the regular season where where things can slog. I think them adding the minimum requirements on the awards for next year mixed in with this NBA Cup is just gonna make next year's NBA regular season more exciting. So all for it. It, it there is an interesting phenomenon I noted last year where we got 10, 20 games through the season and I felt bored already or like impatient for something to happen and for stakes. So I wonder how this will address and affect that. I just, I, I think one thing I heard like Adam Silver say is that we're aware building the tradition and the importance in stakes is a process that takes time. This isn't something that's going to happen overnight. So pointing out that there's no tradition in stakes and this is all meaningless does feel somewhat hollow. This is something that Silver has been very keen on making happen for many years and he finally gets his wish. I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. I, I just don't really see, like I think the playoff or the play-in was a really like easy, surefire, great idea because the stakes tie into stakes that already really matter, the playoff stakes, and it like addressed this very real phenomenon of tanking and seems to have done something for it. And just like added more tension, more drama at the race of the season as teams try and stay in those five, six, as opposed to those seven, eight spots as well. It, this is like much more than that. This is asking to conjure something out of nothing. And it, like, it'll be interesting to see how the teams that make it to the semis and finals of these conference groups uh, compare to the playoff rivals, because the way these groups are made is they divide the each conference into one through three, four through six, and so on. So you have like those five tiers and one team, from each of those three team tierings is placed in a group to make the three groups in the conference. Um, so the top three teams of the East last year, the Bucks, the 76ers, and the Celtics will not play each other in the group play. And I think most teams in the East haven't really changed that much. The, those will be the teams with the best chance to advance. So like, do we see an, a heated Bucks versus Celtics one game take all stakes? matchup in there or heat versus celtics maybe uh, that draws and adds to some of the tension that's already been established in the playoffs my hesitation though is that like these rivalries 
don't feel very present in the regular season. Like think about Joel Embiid just skipping the matchup against Nikola Jokic in March and how like non-big deal that kind of was. Like I, I just, I think we we get a little excited for our Christmas Day special matchup and whatever, but no one's talking about these games a month after they happen. And Maybe I don't not. I don't know that the play in that the NBA Cup games will be any different. I I'm going to disagree there where the reason why we were so disappointed that Joel Embiid missed that game was because of how exciting the first one was where he that was the first kind of mark that you can check off that led to his MVP season was where he went and uh, welcomed Jokic into Philadelphia and dominated him and these regular season games between top teams, there's always a couple on the calendar that have that elevated level of intensity. Remember a couple of years ago, like Lakers playing the Bucks, Giannis um, was on the ascent and, and LeBron turned it on for that game, right? There's going to be games where Miami and Boston, the first time they see each other, it, you know, it's going to be a dogfight. It just ha- those games have a little bit of extra meaning. And I don't know if adding it to the NBA cup is going to increase the intensity but for those top half guys they're going to have to bring it just in a sense that it's two good teams still going at it and then really the bottom half of the rosters i think are going to play up in those games because of the financial incentive that they're going to have it's interesting we'll we'll see how that weighs into it um uh, yeah i'm willing to give it a shot especially as a raptors fan yeah, it's happening. who uh who knows we're not we don't have a shot at the title this year, so maybe we can win something else. We can transition with that into some of the trade rumors that have been swirling around the NBA. And before we get to some of the bigger names, since you mentioned the Raptors, I'll halt on in Toronto and just say a little take uh, that's been brewing in my head over the last few days. The Toronto Raptors have built a core of young players with a lot of talent and a lot of potential who are right now a good basketball team and could very well become a great basketball team. That might not be a championship winning basketball team, uh, but that still is, as a franchise, valuable to have and important to the fan base. And at some point you just have to commit to your young talented players who want to be in your city and uh commit to having as much success with them as you can uh within a reasonable window oh like maybe at some point down the line when we need to worry about scotty's contract um there you have to pick between pascal og and barnes um but right now like I am really hoping we stick with and build around OG San, OG Siakam and Barnes as things are. Uh, I don't want to see this team blown up and have the thing restarted when like these players that we've drafted that have been steals and have like bonded with the franchise are like really just entering their prime uh, to become the best versions of themselves they can be in the NBA. With OG and Scotty, I definitely agree. I, I think it's a make or break year for both of those players to show another step of improvement. Because um, overall, like you look at it, if you want to build a team around one of them, they have to ascend into that top 20 conversation. And I don't think either of them are near that right now. Well, Siakam 
is the guy who yeah, but checks Siakam, that box I think, most. I think Siakam turns 30 this year. Does he? Yeah, it's he's... Like that's prime, but that's not young. Yeah, he's he's older than you think because he came in as an old rookie. Like, I mm. think his first year in the NBA, he was 24. Okay. Yeah, he's he's 29 currently. Um, So that's the piece where he's he's maybe young in basketball development still or, or right hitting that early prime but for him as a player and his style of play unless he can raise the shooting level another notch he's a guy that he's probably at his peak currently and if you think you can sell high on that it, it does kind of fit into the vision of this team and as much as i love all of the guys on this raptors team it's very apparent that you got to have a top guy and whether that's to win with that top guy or have the top guy to bring in other top guys. I just don't see the roadmap where the Raptors do that. And I worry about them being too good that they cost themselves a chance of getting the next, like, I mean, there's not really one in this next draft, but you look at 2026 and some of the performances by Cooper flag and Cam Boozer this past week at peach jam. It's just, Oh, you get one of those guys and maybe that's your franchise changer that leads to more titles down the line. I, I just, I want to see it tweaked and I want to see it and we can transition out of the Raptors here. Um, but just this always thinking about the future, never committing to the present and like in hopes of the championship feels a, is feeling more and more like missing the forest for the trees missing the trees for the forest. I don't know which one's which in my metaphor here. Um, winning matters. Being a second round, third round, consistent playoff team is a good thing. And if you have the pieces that you think can accomplish that, I think it is a great franchise direction to head in. And I wish we talked more positively about franchises that have consistently done that over the years and extended their window rather than prematurely closing it in hopes of opening a newer, bigger, better one at some indeterminate period down the line. Mm -hmm. No, that's a great point. All right, we have run pretty close to the end here. Um, we haven't talked that much about the Lillard Portland trade. It feels like it's a bit installed cold water. Dame said Miami or bust. His agent talked to teams who talked to him, said Lillard does not want to play for any team that's not Miami. The Heat have made an offer to the Trailblazers. The Trailblazers feel like it should be higher given the player that Damian Lillard is, but are also aware that the Miami Heat are limited in how much they can offer. They are hoping to get a bigger return. As of right now, I believe no team has offered more. They're also hoping to bring maybe a third team in to open that window. There's still a lot of time right now before training camp. Um, but if this is, if a trigger isn't pulled in the next month, questions start to become about like, is Lillard truly? not going to report to the trailer trailblazers training camp if they haven't traded him if they trade him to a team that isn't miami is he going to play ball um my personal opinion is that when you sign a supermax extension with a franchise instead of letting your contract run out and go where you please with your free agency 
um, you really can't complain too much about where you end up. Yeah, uh, with Lillard and with Harden, I think the trade, the Lillard trade will get done eventually, but both of these guys, I think, are going to start the season on their respective teams, and it'll be fascinating to see how that plays into the start of the season. But with Dame, like, there's not a ton of teams that can put together a better deal than Miami and Portland. As much as they love the guy and want to get him there, you, you do want to get something really strong back in a trade like Brooklyn did getting Miles Bridges, right? Yeah. And when like Shade and Sharp, Scoot Henderson, and Anfrey Simmons are your best players, then Tyler Hero is not a very attractive uh, A option in a trade coming back. Yeah, exactly. Just stacking up the the already depth of guards that you have. All right. Yeah. And um, I'm a little bit tired with the Dame Lillard trade talk, but we can definitely circle back to it on a future pod. Uh, I don't think we'd said that bit out loud. It, like, it yeah. feels like it's been commonplace for a week and a half. So just had to put on yeah. the Sports Next Door record. Okay. We'll, we'll finish up with some shout outs here. Victor Wenbinyama, done uh, for Summer League after two games. A little bit slow start, but in the second game, pops off for 27 points. Uh, makes this kind of through the legs pull up jump shot that really ignited his offensive confidence in that second game. And he's going to affect games on both ends of the floor, no matter what. He's just so freakishly tall. I had to shout out Keontae George with the Utah Jazz, who has shown some of the best polish we've seen any out of any of the prospects so far. Um, excited what he can do to add to that depth of young talent coming up in Utah. On the hockey side, Alex Dabrinkit traded to the Detroit Red Wings by the Ottawa Senators for Dennis Kubelik, Sobrango, conditional first, and a fourth-round pick. Uh, I think we can dive probably a little bit more into that next week and some of the remaining free agents here in the NHL. Um, and with that one, Max, I'll let you... Thank you for the wrap-up, Bo, and providing enough of a handoff to overdub and edit the episode sign-out. And thank you to the listener for making it this far. Hope you've enjoyed and you'll be back with us next week. Until then, Sports Next Door, signing out. You get to the station, there's this crazy sound. Hey man, this ain't no fishing town. Yeah, they're fishing, but that ain't all.